Welcome back to the Work For It podcast. We are about to have a fantastic interview with Tom Nugent from Knives by Nuge. But before we jump into that, I want to talk about our sponsors. We have Maritime Knife Supply. If you go over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or .com, I'm pretty sure it's .com as well, um, you can go and get anything you need for knife making. Uh, they, I mean, Lawrence Lake over there is a great guy, so you want to support him. And also, he's got everything under the sun, whether it be knife making or other type of making crafts. He's, he's your man. Also, go check out Baker Forge and Tool. If you are looking to make Damascus or or make a Damascus knife and, you know, you want the best of the best, BakerForgeandTool.com or BakerForge.com is the place to get it. Go check out Baker Forge. Uh, Coy Baker, sweet dude. And also, thank you to our, our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do the show without you. Let's get into the show. Tom Nugent, we've got you in the house today. How well, are thanks, you, man? Thanks for having me, man. It's a little weird having that intro music and not Brian screaming in my ear at the start. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always a great way to start your Thursday morning with him yelling in your ears. You're like, okay, I guess it's time to go. Dude, it's it's even better live. Every single time, you, it just throws you off. It's awesome. <laughs> love it, love it. But thanks for so, having me. Knives by Nuge. I mean, that it's just on a meteoric rise right now. And I love the direction that you're going with it. Um, so where do you see yourself? Like, where is it in the knife making world that you want to be? So I still want to do custom work, but I'm kind of leaning away from that. And I'm even about to close my books just for now. Oh, hell um, yeah. You must be doing real well then. Well, it's just like anything else in life. It could be a gamble that pays off or you could just, you know, be terrible. But we'll find out. Um, but like the direction I'm going is it's kind of like an almost semi-production, semi-custom kind of work where I want to offer both, but I also, to keep the prices down at a reasonable level and to keep my lights on, you kind of have to do that kind of semi-production kind of level work. That is definitely what I'm looking into right now. Um, I did the first run of EDC threes and the, the chef knives, you know, it is good and there's bads. Um, I really like the direction that you're going because, you know, you can still see your your artistry in the knives even though they're, you know, they're production. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just certain things that, like, they save so much time, like getting stuff water jet cut. It is just such a time saver and everything's uniform. So it just makes life that much easier. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you have a couple models that really stick out to me. Obviously, the Wicket. I am a big fan of like the nano neck knife style, like the smaller neck knives. And the Wicket just lands perfectly in that niche for me. Um, where did did you? How long ago did you make your first Wicket? And when did you realize that it was going to be like one of your cult favorite knives? I made it just last year, I think, in the middle of summer. Yeah, the summer was when I was experimenting with it. And I was just taken out using it as a neck knife and everything. Um, and wearing a neck knife while camping or hiking or fishing is just so convenient. Um, it's a little weary to most folks at first because you're wearing a blade around your neck. And it's just yeah. like, <laughs> you know, people oh, yeah. are – it's really hard to stop leaks, especially in that area. So, like, obviously it's <laughs> – it's uh, – that's a hell of a way to say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and that's that was from the first responders days where, you know, and I tell people, I'm like, no, no, no. We're here to plug leaks and restart hearts. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> but uh, the neck knife, 
it really started as me just wanting to have something small and handy on me while I'm out there. And even like while fishing, especially if you're in chest waders, I tell people all the time, like, where the hell are you supposed to put your damn knife? Yeah. Like, I always like to have one on me anyway, just because, you know, you never know when you get caught up in something or you're just cutting a line is what it really is um, most of the time. But uh, and then it just started picking up in like November. It just started getting crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that you have it. It's it's the same model. It's the same size and the same blade shape. But you're able to do so many different things with it between the Cerakotes and the the different handle materials, whether it's it's a wrapped handle or a, a traditional, you know, scale handle type situation. You know, you've been able to take one model and make it so that, you know, everyone can get what they want out of it. Yeah, and it just also adds that kind of like collector's value to it or just like a little niche following because I have people that own like four or five of the same knife. Yeah. And I'm like, this is crazy because it's the same model, but it's like different variations to it, which completely changed up the whole feel, look, and finish of everything. And it's those collectors that, you know, really make it so that you want to push yourself to come up with something new. Do you have, so I've seen, I guess, tell me about what you've done with some of your models, like for instance, the Wicket. Like what are, what are some of the different things that you've been able to, you know, change about them to make them so collectible and is there anything coming up that you're like oh my god i can't wait to drop this wicket oh there is one that's in the works right now that i was going to be picking up from nj steel baron soon um i'm just very excited for that but yeah like even like i've been doing them with like standard very thin scales because for a neck knife it's nice to have it a little bit flush but even right i found out that the edc world has been loving that knife um because it's a small enough pocket fixie or you could wear it on a scout carry loop and it just disappears on your belt right right and then realistically what you need most of the day for edc use is like cutting open boxes and you don't need a sword for that you know right right a, a two and a quarter inch blade is more than just fine see that's a thing that i really loved about my nano neck knives because mine were like an inch and a half blades they're very very small and, you know, there it's about enough room on that handle to get a finger and a half to really hold on to it. But it was perfect for opening boxes, like especially when I worked in my in the Target days, you know, opening boxes, all you need is this little itty bitty thing. And nobody's ever going to be scared of that little baby knife. No, I so mean, you, you don't feel bad. Like if you're in public and you whip out your little your little, you know, wicket. Shit, exactly. no, nobody's going to be scared of that. And it also, too, is nice about if you have it as a neck carry, you could tuck it in under your shirt and then nobody knows it's there, which is exactly it. It You know, the last show I was doing, I was in Warwick, New York, and like I was wearing my neck knife at the show because like, you know, it's a giant bright neon, like, you know, green knife on my neck. It's going to also help catch attention. But then like if I was running out to go get a cup of coffee or something like that, I'm like, OK, I'm back in public now. This is getting tucked away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back around normal people now. <laughs> See, I maybe I'm just one of those crazy people, but I always wore mine like right on top no matter where I was. Because, you know, very few people are going to be like, "Oh, well, you know, that that crazy person with the knife around the neck because it's so small." But, you know, on the other hand, like, you know, I've gotten a lot of I've given out a lot of business cards because people are like, "Holy shit, is that a knife on your neck? Where'd you get that?" Well, that's pretty cool. That's a good idea then. I'm just so used to being like discreet with most of my things that I do. Like I'm not, I don't really go out wearing anything loud or anything crazy most of the time just because like I like going unnoticed. You know what I mean? Life is a little bit easier that way. 
Do you think that going unnoticed and trying to like, you know, be a little bit more subdued about it comes from your background of being a police officer? Oh, it 120% does. Um, where just like, you know, not trying to draw attention to myself, just trying to go and blend in, you know, just be the guy in the back of the room. Cause that's also, you know, you don't end up being a target yourself by doing that. Um, sure. I mean, it's just like the zebra mentality where the, their stripes are to help them blend in with each other and to not stand out. I don't want to be the guy walking around in the neon green, yellow hoodie being like, look at me here. It's like, no, no, I'd rather just blend in with the crowd. Now, I see that in mo- some of your knives is very subdued and like that black on black looked or, you know, just plain stainless or plain whatever type of steel and a black handle, which is very cool. But then on the other hand, you have this bright neon green Cerakoted and it's it's kind of like this duop- duopoly. I definitely did not say that right, but it's kind of the the two minds of, you know, one side is trying to stay, you know, really subdued and, you know under the radar and the other side is like holy shit look at me well even like a prime example is like with the wickets that i do with the cerakote like i'm putting that thing down the woods neon green stands out very well however with like my cf3 which is one of my more tactical models with the ring on it right that i designed with a police officer i went to the academy with and he wanted a knife that was very simple to grab off your chest carrier low profile did not stand out thin enough and the whole ring isn't for doing crazy karambit flippity things. It's so he knows which end the business end is. And <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. And he's like, he knows it's in his hand. He could grab somebody and move them. And he still knows where to put the working end if need be. But- so I love my personal favorite of all of your designs is the CF3. It's fun. Wh- it is really fun. There's a couple different questions I have for it. But first, what does CF3 stand for? So it actually is named after a uh, police officer who was killed in the line of duty in 2019. Oh, gotcha. And his call sign was ceasefire three. So that mm. was, he was killed in Jersey city during that big shooting that they had um, back in 2019 before the holidays. Um, and that's his, one of his partners was the guy I designed this knife with that I went to the Academy with. So wow. the name is dedicated to him. Um, and that's where this word CF3 comes from. It's for his call sign at work. Um, gotcha. Because also, like, not too long after that, after that shooting, the guy I designed it with was actually shot in the head. <gasps> um, thankfully, he's okay because he's still talking to me now. Right. But he couldn't access his firearm because the guy was on top of him on his hips and he couldn't get to his gun. And that's where the other guy was able to get his because it was in the front of his waistband. And so he was wasn't able to get to his primary weapon, which is why he wanted something like this to be on a plate carrier where it's as simple as pull it out and then insert. You know what right, I mean? Right. And it's people watch too many movies where they think like just because like you poke a hole in somebody, they just like fall over and die. I'm like, yeah, no. that's that's not how like, you know, Lord that's of the Rings works where a guy gets hit with an arrow in the ass cheek and then like falls over <laughs> and dies. Like that's that's not that's not how any of this works. Right. But it's to create a distance, and that's what it's really for. But just like most knives, like that's not really what they're going to get used for most of the time. Like when I went, when I sent the first prototype out to my buddy who I designed it with, the first day at work he was carrying it, there was a guy who was having a heart attack on the street, and he was able. It was in the winter, and he opened up all four layers of his clothes like a zipper. So right. like, that's what it's probably going to get used for more often than our you know fantasy lands. But it can still work if you actually end up in a scenario like that. 
Right. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that I always try to have the conversation with with customers is like, yes, you're getting this badass hunting knife or you're getting this crazy, you know, design. But like you have to remember you should want something because it's comfortable, not because it's, you know, some, you know, one in a million shot. This will happen and I'll be ready with my Rambo knife. Well, there's a lot of stuff that people like to carry around on them that just doesn't end up ever getting used. Um, right, that's true. That's true. And it's like just because hopefully you, they don't get used. Well, absolutely. But if you, it's also one thing that I've learned with be carrying like off-duty weapons and stuff like that, is that people would like always buy this like gigantic like handgun to carry off-duty. But then I'm like, if it's too big and uncomfortable, you never end up carrying it. So well, then, what's right. the point? So because then, if you don't have it with you, then what good is it? One hundred percent, and I I agree with you. Um, I guess going back to the CF3 and the Krambit ring, um, I've never handled a knife with a Krambit ring before. I've never carried one. I've never owned one. Um, I guess other, I mean, I guess you said it's so that you know, you know, where the business end is. Um, is there any other uses for that ring? Or I guess, is it just kind of a personal thing that you like the style of it? So when I was wearing it on my plate carrier, it would be very, very tight to my vest. So okay. like you wouldn't have like a great big purchase. And also you don't necessarily want it just hanging out there anyway either. Right. That's why I do them with like black handles and a blasted finish because you don't want to be screaming, hey, look at me. Grab me and stick me with it. it exactly. And, you know, I just – the ring really helps you get your finger into that ring and be able to pull it out even if it's very tight to your chest. And I mean, I guess, too, if, like, you wanted to use it as, like, you know, a knocker on the head, it would probably help out. But, sure. like, it's that's it's really more for getting it and retention and everything. Because even if you are, like, wrestling with somebody, you can then still hold on to it while holding on to the person or whatever you're trying to articulate and not lose control of it. That is exactly what I was assuming the answer was because I find the exact same thing. And I'm... I'm trying to do an interview of you and I'm constantly turning it back towards me. But with my EDC three, um, my, my knife that I carry every day, the, the knife with a ring or the hole in it, you know, I find the exact same utility where it's like, you know, it's, it's practical for, you know, sticking your finger through and making a very short knife, a full handed, you know, experience so that you have a full handle, but also like every time your hands are slippery, you're never going to drop that knife. And it's never going to be it's it just aids so much in handling and like retention of what you're trying to hold on to. I, I've always really enjoyed that. And I've always, you know, kind of wanted to do a, you know, Karambit style handle just for that reason. It's fun, man. And, you know, is it like I'm going to make one that doesn't have the Karambit ring because some people don't like that. Um, which is understandable because now your finger is in a very delicate position because your finger is encased in hardened steel. That's um, true. That's true. So there is that worry about if somebody does start articulating the blade out of your hand, now you're about to lose your index finger. Um, but, you know, there's there's so many hypotheticals with these situations, <laughs> and I am no, like, Filipino knife fighter. I'm just some dude who makes knives in his garage. So, like – who used to be a cop. So take that for what you will. You know what I mean? I never advertise myself as being like the world's like best like knife fighter or even like woodsman or anything else. I'm like, I just have like a basic understanding of all these things. I know you say that, but I do know that you have a background in some martial arts. 
Um, yeah. What I, I guess, you know, tell me about your experience. What type what type of martial arts and and how has it impacted, you know, your I guess your former life as a police officer? And do you still do any sort of martial arts? Yeah, I am still training uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I started yeah. um, when I actually graduated the police academy. The same guy I designed the CF3 with was the one who actually got me into it. And uh, yeah, man, it's been great. Like one, it just keeps you in shape, keeps you healthy. I mean, for the most part, I'm still getting banged up all the damn time. Um, <laughs> where like even today, like at one point, I'm like my arm is like about to like be ripped out of its socket. I'm like, I need to work later. Like this is, I can't be this hurt going into the <laughs> shop. But especially for work too, it just like whenever you did have to go hands on with somebody, it's the safe for me, in my opinion, it's one of the safer martial arts for the person on the receiving end. Like if I had to get into a fight between like somebody who does Muay Thai or boxing versus jujitsu, I would take the jujitsu fighter all the time because he's probably just going to put me to sleep where like a boxer is going to knock my teeth out. See, that's the thing that I love about, um, jiu-jitsu i've never done any sort of jiu-jitsu but i was a wrestler in high school i know that's probably a very stereotypical thing to say uh <laughs> but it seems like it's the most you know realistic if you're if you're in a bar fight or a fight in general you know the the goal isn't to knock some, there's never going to be like this big you know right hook that's going to knock someone out ever like that's 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 a fantasy land type thing the whole idea is you should be trying to subdue someone or you know you know basically calm down the situation where you can regain control and get yourself away from the situation um do you do you see that like have have you ever like been able to use that in your in your life oh plenty of times um, okay cool it was even funny one day at work we were uh I got into an altercation at work with somebody. This is it, the police officer job, not in the knife shop. I don't really fight too many people in the knife shop. <laughs> you're you're um, just <laughs> rustling your grinder one day. Uh, <laughs> oh, that happens at times. But uh, rowdy customer came in. I was having had this big old boy. He was a big iron worker, and eventually we had to get him out of his car. And when he did, he went to go wrap me up, like pretty much like football tack on my legs. Mm -hmm. And that whole week we were doing like single and double leg defense in jujitsu. Nice. And in my head, I'm like, oh, here's what sprawl. we just, here's what we just practiced. And then sprawled him out, got him on his back, got his arm behind him. I'm like, oh, okay. And then like my partner's just like staring at me. I'm like, do you mind like throwing a hand in over here? Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know it seems like everything's going great, but like I could definitely use your help. Um, right. But yeah, because stuff like that. And then at the end of the day, like we just sat him right up. Nobody was hurt. I mean, he definitely, right. it's, it's never fun going down face first on the pavement. Sure. But it's, it's still better than like having to tee off on each other like we're doing, you know, a Golden Glove fight. Right. And, uh, you know, you were able to use your training and subdue the situation and not not resort to other options. You You were able to, you know, calm it all down and handle it. And another thing about that, too, is like it gives you a little bit more confidence that if something is about to go down, like you're going to be able to handle it or just be a pain in the ass to kill one of the two. Um, <laughs> like, that's that's my goal in life. If somebody ever does like take me out, I just want them to like have to take a breath afterwards and be like, boy, was that annoying? Um, but like when somebody is getting like confrontational and everything with you, it's like you have a little more resolve about it because you're like, all right, well, if this does go completely south, I'll, I'll probably be all right. 
Right, right. So I have a couple friends who are for, are or were former police officers, and um, you know, one thing that I've learned is that you know, being a police officer is like ninety nine percent you know mundane, you know, s- traffic stops, really doing nothing, and one percent action, or even f- less than that. Is that does that ring true to you? That's one hundred percent true. Like the majority of the calls is like you know the freaking boiler isn't working or somebody's pipe burst and all of a sudden they call you instead of a plumber and you're like why am I here? Um, <laughs> like that is not like like what do you want? Like or medical calls were always very big too, right? Um, but not really like the action diehard kind of stuff where I'm crawling through vents and trying to save the world the kind of thing that doesn't really right. happen that you know ever. Can you kind of talk? Is there any some? Is there any like crazy stories that you have from you know this crazy call I was put on? Well, there's not too many crazy calls. I mean, because a lot of them were just like it, it's a different type of stress, you know, because you're being put in to circumstances that other people may see as crazy, where you got like you know people dying around you and you got to figure it out. But like it's almost like you get accustomed to it in a weird way, if that makes any sense. So, like, to me, it wasn't, like, as crazy, but, like, that's also what I had to remind myself every now and then is, like, this may not be the craziest thing I've ever seen, but, like, the person I'm dealing with, this is, like, freaking world-turning. You know what I mean? Right, and you also have to realize you are called when shit goes wrong. When someone's day is at their worst, you're the person who has to come up and deal with it. I never got a call to somebody's house because they just had a tray of fresh-baked cookies and wanted to <laughs> Did you ever come across a fresh tray of cookies? Yeah, but it's, you know, nobody ever wants to deal with the cops when they're there. So I wasn't even getting any cookies. And also that's Uh. like, that's the last thing I need to do is get involved in some kind of like bribery for having a cookie. (laughs) As little as a cookie? Dude, it's nuts. And it's just like, you learn just to say no. Um, Because I mean, some people would drop off stuff to headquarters and stuff like that, which is always appreciated. But whenever anybody offered something, I would always say no, because I'm like, no, I just... I'd rather not. You know what I mean? And you never know what's in it and, you know, the intentions of whoever's dr- – I mean, you know. Well, that but remember that one time I gave you that stale bagel and you're going to pull me over? <laughs> it's like – yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you ever been given those those cheesy-ass liners like trying to get out of a ticket? Dude, the stupidest things. And it's like in my head sometimes they actually would like you know, talk themselves into it. But it's like, bro, I was just going to let you go anyway and just tell you to slow down. But now you're just being an idiot. Like just, or they'll just like talk themselves into trouble and you're like, please just stop, please, please stop what you're doing. Um, but most of the time I was always pretty good at handling that. And if it didn't go well, then, you know, that's why I have the other things in the backup plan. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Give me some of those one liners that just make you groan. Like what, what's the worst of the worst? Uh, do you know who I am? And, you know, it's like, oh, you got nothing better to do. It's like, no, actually, this is what I get paid 12 hours a day to do, actually. So, no, this is the best thing I got going for me right now. And, you know, it's always the I had no idea. And it's like, really? You just had no idea you were doing, you know, highway speeds on this small side street. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just like you're looking and be like, all right. And that's another thing is like you get really good at figuring out who's lying to you or not because you literally get lied to every single day. Right, right. Now, I'm the type of guy that drives like a grandpa. And like, and I think that comes from like, I, I grew up in a Chevy S10. So like everything can kill you. <laughs> so, you know, is there is there like, do you, do you have one that like, maybe 
maybe this is if you have a one-liner that might get you out of a ticket like do you have you ever heard like a really good one that almost made you want to not give them a ticket <laughs> it's always the funniest ones when it's actually some awkward scenario that's going on where it's just like you know they've got the runs and then you all of a sudden <laughs> you start smelling a certain smell you're like oh god please go because <laughs> i've had that one because everybody's like oh i'm sorry i just really got to go to the bathroom but there was one guy that actually you could you smelled like he needed new pants and i'm oh, like no. go away just go go wherever you're going i hear i don't even want to touch your stuff anymore right. i don't know where your hands have been just go just <laughs> just go. go and there's a certain times where like you would have the car that you really don't want to search because it's just like you know piled high like a landfill and you're like you know what you have a great day <laughs> like, you know oh man so i guess if you want to get out of a ticket crap your pants and have a pigsty in the back you know and you're you're all set well you gotta remember that that guy is probably thinking i don't get paid enough for this not today <laughs> <laughs> not not today i ain't just want to go about my business absolutely absolutely so switching gears a little bit you know um i want to talk about you know how it is that you got into making in general um you started making knives in 2019 I, I don't remember if that's what you said or if that was a part of my research. I don't freaking know anymore. Uh, but I want to talk about, you know, you you grew up in kind of a, you know, in a in an area where hunting and fishing was was the norm. Um, tell me about the project where you wanted something and you made it yourself and that accomplishment. Well, the first knife I actually made was uh, one of Walter Sorrell's versions of the agent. Um, Hell yeah. Because when you're on his Patreon, he has plans for things to help you out with the first one. So, like, the first one was obviously a prison shank um, because that's, like, all of our first knives. Um, Can confirm. But I still have it in my drawer, and I actually carried it at work for a while, and it worked great for, like, cutting open things and other nonsense. And it's, like, it was a sharp, pointy thing that held an edge. I'm like, oh, neat. It was definitely rough, um, and I did it with like an Aaron Goff style file jig, and I'm like, oh, this is not the way. And then you look at it now with all the power tools, you're like, oh, this is working so much better. Um, was that the first thing that you ever made before? I, I imagine in your youth, I believe you were a Boy Scout at one point. Um, did you did you ever have a project like really young early on where you you wanted to make something and you made it? Well, there's always the fun stuff, especially in the scouts. That's really what like molded me into the guy I am today. Cause like my parents were not into the outdoors one bit. Like mm. they, and I grew up in an area that wasn't really like that either. Now I live up in the sticks, which is amazing. Um, but like growing up, like I would always go out on these trips and get all these experiences from the boy scouts. So I wouldn't have been able to do pretty much, I wouldn't have been the guy I am today if it wasn't for them. And like, we were always building stuff. I was always a very hands-on kind of guy, you know, and like even some of the most memorable things are like building like just giant catapults at Boy Scout camp because why the hell not? Nice. And like, why not just build something to fling a rock all the way across camp because that's the safe thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> With a solid heads up. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, you know, that's just what kids need to do every now and then. Just build something very dangerous. Maybe get a little bit hurt, not permanently hurt, you know, just you enough know. to learn. That's how the best lessons are learned is screwing something up and maybe getting a little bit hurt. I just had a close call the other day in the shop. I was Oh yeah. <laughs> it was uh you know those things where you look back on it and you're like, "Boy, I am a goddamn idiot." 
Um, <laughs> I do that all the freaking time. I may have done that a little bit yesterday. <laughs> the uh, blast cabinet that I've been using, it's just a hazardous freight blast cabinet. It's nothing yeah. to write home about, but it works. But every now and then the gun gets clogged up with the moisture and everything. So you take it out, you clean it. And I was being an idiot. I wasn't wearing the eye protection. The line was still pressurized and the door was open. And I went to go put the gun back onto it after I was cleaning it out. And then I got a pressurized blast of abrasive media to my eyes, which was fun. Yeah, fun is an F word that could be used in this situation. It's probably not the one I would use. It was not the F word I used at the time. (laughs) (laughs) You you said fantastic as well. Yeah, that's one thing I always learned too at work is people would always be like, oh, how are you doing today, sir? And it's like the person's leg is like broken in half. You're like, how the fuck do you think they're doing? Like, (laughs) it's like, I always learn to be very real with people where I'm like, this is going to hurt. This is going to suck. Sorry. But like, everybody's like, oh, no, it's gonna be fine. No, it's not. It's gonna suck. Um, But yeah, that, uh, that was one of those mistakes that you learn. You're like, I am never doing that again. And it's like, I still have like a little grittiness in my eyes right now because only like two days ago. Oh, my God. uh, You're just like, you know, you're like, oh, great. This is this is how everything is supposed to work. But you know, every now and then, you get you gotta touch the hot pot to learn. Yeah, and absolutely, it's it's you know one of those things, especially knife making, which is so dangerous because there's so many tools in a knife maker shop that wants to kill you. Oh my um, God. To learn those lessons, you know, just by screwing up and hopefully getting just a little bit hurt. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you use that blast cabinet quite a bit, and I. I believe you and I talked about a little bit of that briefly on a live stream. Um, how often do you use that? And, you know, what is what is the process? Like, what type of grit finishes do you get it up to before you throw it in the blast cabinet? So I've been just still playing around with it now, but I'm really thinking this is kind of the way I'm going to take things with at least more of the production style stuff. Because, um, like, you could just... That I like the uniform finish that you get. Mm-hmm. It's non-reflective, which is nice, and it really leads to acid washing well. Or you could use like a casual finish, but like it's just so nice to like. Even the other day, like I screwed up and put my maker's mark on the wrong side of the goddamn Oh jeez! And I'm just like, <laughs> I am an idiot. Um, yep. but then I was on the phone with my buddy. I'm like, oh wait, one second. I threw him in the blast cabinet and just hit the delete button on my mistake. <laughs> like yeah. you know, it's just like oh, I etched the wrong side. Just. Psh- done gone and you're not worried about handling the knife because i'm sure we've all had like i just had the other day with a set of a custom set that i had laser engraved where like you finish everything up and then i go to put in a sheath and you hear and you're just like the the, some grit got into the kydex sheath and put a little scratch there and now it already has a laser engraving on one side which you're just like oh my god you know and I'm not saying like I could be a lackadaisical with my work, but now when that does happen, I just go Psh, and the f- error is now gone, which is very, very nice to have. Yo, I mean, I feel like one of the next things I'm going to buy is a blast cabinet now. It's, it's worth it, man. I mean, and it depends on the finish you're going for. And that's also right. why I'm going to be closing my book soon because like even uh, when I'm starting tomorrow, today I'm t- kind of taking like an admin day. I kind of have to like get my life in order, those kind of like fun stuff. But um, like I have two knives that are getting a satin finish. I have one knife that's getting an acid stonewash finish, and the other one's going to get a blasted finish. And I'm like, this is why I need to close my books because I'm doing the same knife but in three different styles. And it's like that's not 
conducive to keeping the prices where they're at. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. So I guess are you still planning on taking commissions or custom orders in the future or are you going to completely switch over to, hey, I made you know 50 wickets in this style, come and get them? I think I'm going to still do like, you know, especially uh, smaller batches because I want to have like inventory on the website. That's a big thing that I really want to have up, especially before like September when the article comes out. Like I really want to have stuff on the website that's like ready to go for people to buy. And I got I got Blade Show coming up where I'm not I'm not planning on having a booth there, and I'm not going to be a flea bag brown bag and it selling the knives out the backpack. <laughs> but I do want to have some stuff on me, so if somebody sees me, I could actually show them the work instead of just Instagram photos. You know what I mean? That's the mistake I made last year at Blade Show, is I showed up without a piece of work, and I walked into so many conversations with really high end knife makers that I got asked constantly, oh, well, show me what you've done. Like, show me, show me what, and I have to flip up my phone and go through and the disappointment on their face, you know, I was like, well, how the hell did you come to Blade Show without a blade? Well, I've heard of some people that work in like more retail end stores that won't even like really start a conversation unless they see your work like in person, which makes complete sense because anybody could throw a couple of filters on and do the oil treatment right before the photo is taken to make the knife look pretty. Right. But like when you get it in hand, then you could really see the quality of it or like where it's actually at and whether that's something they really actually be interested in doing. Yeah, and a hundred percent I agree with that. So if you are only able to bring one blade to blade show, what is it what is that one blade that you want to bring? Is I'm it bring- one of is it one of your wickets? Is it a CF three or is it some sort of like crazy concoction you have in your mind right now? So we'll, uh, there's two knives that are really like in my head right now, but the one that I would, if I had to only pick one, I would bring the wicket mainly because like, I really want to go there and see about one day getting into more online retailers because I mean, the world of social media, I treat it as borrowed time. Like tomorrow my account could get canceled and go bye-bye, but having them in stores and retail locations, yeah, you take the hit financially because they're taking their cut, but also I'm not worried about selling it. They're buying in bulk. Like, that's true. And I didn't. We didn't go back to it yet. But the new model that's coming out for the Wicked is I'm actually working on one that's going to have removable handle scales. Yo, that's gonna be nice. And I'm gonna get CNC handles done for that. So I'll be able to like have my Cerakoter do like a special color with it, and then I could order like X amount of like these handles CNC done. And then I'm using that True Tilt table now, which is amazing it's just a belly buster so if you do use it you kind of have to watch out for it Um, i've heard that i've heard that (laughs) i was looking at my belt i'm like why is there this tan stuff on my orange blaze belt right now i'm like oh that's from my leather apron i should (laughs) stand a little further back or lose a couple pounds or you know i i have seen somebody i forget who it was they basically just riveted on a little piece of plate metal right there that I was thinking about doing the same thing, just as like a, to throw the sparks down and also not to have like a 36 grit belt into my belly. Um, oh, I was talking right onto their leather apron. Oh, onto the apron. I was thinking about making like a shield that could almost like clamp onto the bottom of the table and oh. go in front of that wheel and just because like you're not really using the bottom of that thing. And granted, I'm acting like some goddamn expert. I did six knives on it. I'm acting like <laughs> I. Like, I know what I'm talking about. So, like, 
like, like everybody, like I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. So well, hold on. Let me, let me call up Brian house and get him on this collect call and make sure that we, you know, get him all of the information from the expert. Well, he was, <laughs> he, he was the man. He, like at first, like when I was putting it together, I mean, I even hit you up with the surface grind. It's always something stupid where you're like, Oh, you just turn this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I can't get this table to line up. He's like, yeah, you're putting it in the wrong spot. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Huh. 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 Well, that, that might, works. that, that might do it. Thanks bud. Um, but yeah, like if I could get the wickets all, and I, I don't normally grind before heat treat, but mm. I think now with this table where I could have it set to the same, like everything's set the same. I think I'm going to do more grinding pre heat treat. Then I send all my stainless out to get heat treated by uh, Paul boss, which is just such a time saver. Um, and everything comes back professionally heat treated, which is nice. Heat treated and straightened, I'm sure. Oh, it's I've one I've had a couple phone calls with him, and he's just like such a nice guy. And I asked him one day, I'm like, what are all these marks on these blades? Like, because he writes a cue on it if it had a warp. And I'm like, oh, like all of these had a warp. He's like, yeah, all of them had a warp. And I'm like, well, thanks for fixing that. Right, right. Because that's so. I mean, you know, from dealing with this, like, how mm-hmm. much time? How much time suck is it? to be chasing warps and especially if i'm doing like a batch of like 200 knives like that's a lot of time chasing warps especially half of them come out warped yeah and i i have done i've sent out to a couple different people now to do heat treating and um i've had one that was really good and a couple of them that have sent back warp stuff and obviously i'm not going to name names that that'd just be a shitty thing to do but the the time and effort you have to spend to chase a warp after it's been tempered without a shim temper Mm. Yeah, I probably should have just thrown it out and started again. <laughs> well, it's just like at times like that where you're just wasting you, time is money with these kind of things. And that's kind of also where I've been going with a lot of my models where it's like I'm trying to increase or increase speed while keeping the quality the same. Because even like something like heat treat, it takes a while for him to get back to me because he's, you know, apparently. Well, he also works with this little company called Buck Knives. And apparently. Oh. Bob Buck? I don't think I've ever heard of that company. I yeah, yeah. I think they make a couple knives every now and yeah. then. So like, but apparently they take up a lot of his time, which is weird that Knives by News wouldn't trump Buck Knives. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. that's even like with custom orders and stuff. And that's why, because I, I don't have a kiln in the house. I do all my high carbon out of the forge with the eyeball thermometers. And yeah, I've, had te- I've had it tested. So like, I know that I'm hitting the right ranges with it. I mean, obviously you could have a fluke every now and then, but like um you kind of notice too when you're grinding that something's something's off if it's not heat treated right right um, right and yet again i could just be talking out of my ass so like i said i'm know. no freaking expert but eventually i would like to get a kiln but then there comes down to the like where are you spending your money kind of stuff right right for sure uh jumping back in the conversation a little bit with your wicket um how you're doing a production run where you're getting them laser cut or are they water jet cut by new jersey steel baron they're water jet cut by New Jersey Steel. Yeah, yeah. So I figured. And then you're having the handles CNC'd out. Um, first of all, you know, we, we might want to go down the rabbit hole of how you how your um, CNC situation came about. But I want to talk about how awesome that is because because it's all bolt together. You know, if somebody wants you know one side to be purple and one side to be pink, they can order up a purple set and a pink set and you know, do it to their heart's desire. And it's, it's, you can switch out colors. You can do whatever you want to it without having to go to you and really, okay, you need to make me a, a one-off, you know, custom piece 
it, it's a really easy way to make a customizable knife without all of the extra stress that comes with customs. And you wouldn't even need a new sheath or anything. Say if you like, yeah. I, I ordered some funky like G10 material and the guy's like, I really want that. I could then just order more and then just have them for sale as just bolt these on if you want to swap out the scales. That's really cool, man. That's super cool. But so lots of, lots of things are in the works and it's coming together pretty well, but you know, still just trying to figure it out day by day. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get hooked up with the CNC situation? So that I actually got set up with, uh, what you call it, Dan over at the Wizard Forge. Um, really good guy there. He's been using Stoner CNC, and they're just a CNC company. Um, I believe he met them at Bleed Show. And from what I was told, I haven't worked with them yet. I'm actually going to pick up the model hopefully either this week or next week. And I got to play with the first to really see what it's like. Right. But He's then going to pretty much take the CAD file from New Jersey Steel Baron, and then I'm going to show him what I pretty much want, and I'm going to end up sending him a rough blank, and then he just works, with, and you send him the hardware you want to use. Okay. And then he just throws it up in CNC, and then you just tell him what material you want to use. Um, he doesn't like using, he told me that he doesn't like using my carter, which makes sense because it can warp and be a pain in the ass. Sure. And G10 is just like so easy to work with. Right. Um, it's just it hard on flat. hard on the tools. It it dulls everything super quickly, but you know. But I guess if you get the setup right, I mean, this is why I go to people with bigger brains than me. You know, he's got to figure it out, obviously. So that's why I'm going to spend my money with him. Yeah, that sounds like a really nice setup, and you know, maybe I might have to you know get in touch with him as well because I've always wanted to do pretty much exactly where. I want to go down the path that you're going down right now. I'm I'm very excited for you and to be frank, a little envious. Dude, it's it's the way. And one thing I got coming out too, which I was gonna hold off on this model again CNC, but now I might push it forward a bit more, is the chickpea is probably another one of like my top selling knives. Yeah. And it's funny because that knife I designed for Boy Scouts and a bunch of dudes started buying it to like EDC and carrying the woods and everything else. And I'm like, oh that's funny how these things just work. Um but I have a sheath coming from JRE Leather, and it's hopefully going to work out well for, uh, what you call it, for just f the fitment of it. I love Kydex on the sheaths, but like Kydex takes a long time to do. And yeah. you got to get it right or else it's just sloppy. And with yeah. leather, it's so nice. I started using JRE sheaths on my Bushcrafters and Pucos. And when you're done with the knife and you're just like, oh, time for the sheath. And you just slide it in. You're like, boop, done. It is right. such a relief of yeah. time saver. To be able to throw on a sheath and put it out, you know, in the mail the same day. Oh, my God. It's and, it's something I've never been able to experience because, you know, it's it's part of it. And it's just one less thing to do. Like I finished up those six uh, CF3s recently and it took me about like the half of a work day to do the Kydex and get it all fit right and everything else and it's like you know that's still a half a day of work which over the grand scheme of things i mean you were just recently talking to, with uh ryan chadboard right right he would like and you were talking about like even getting stuff water jet cut where it's like it's a huge time saver and time is money with these kind of things right right absolutely and if you want to be a production if you you know, there's there's two different routes. You can go the artsy route where you're doing complete customs and every single one is tailor fit for the, the perfect person. And that and that can be fulfilling and you can make a living off of that. 
but production's where the money's at, honestly. And like once you once you have a couple designs that are wholly your own and is your style that people love, I mean, to not do a production run is I don't know. It, it just seems like the way you should do it financially. Well, it's also a good way for people to like get in touch with your work. Like a guy I work right. with all the time, and he's uh, pretty much my business partner at this point, Nick Italiano over at Black Flag Survival. You see me do all the live streams and oh, yeah. with him. Oh, yeah. He, he brought up the idea about it. He's like, even with some of the wrap knives, he's like, hey, you need to get a more affordable knife into people's hands because people don't know you. Like, right. They don't know your work. They don't know your quality. And they, you know, it's hard to take a gamble on a $300 bushcraft knife. But it's easy to spend 100 bucks on a wrap knife and be like, oh, this is actually pretty nice. See, that's a thing that I found, especially when I did the limited run with the, with the production knives. You know, I sent those ones out and they were at a affordable price or a more affordable price. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing a lot, so I couldn't get them all the way down to 100 bucks. But I had a lot of return customers off of those because they really they found that, oh, my gosh, this is the knife that I use every day. And wouldn't it – hey, I've got a couple extra 100 bucks to really get a decent version. Let me go ahead and you know pick up something because if I'm spending this much on this knife, if I get a custom piece, it's going to be that much better. And that's how it starts. And then, you know, they got to wet their feet. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm not a benchmate or something where you know it's going to be at X level of quality already. Sure. And it's like, you know, I, I'm well understanding of that. That's another nice part about uh, martial arts is it really uh, levels your ego very, very quick. Um, right. Because you're like, yeah, there's always a bigger fish and always somebody better. But um, it also is just nice with the CNC route that I'm going where I would like to have like stuff ready made for people to buy because I want my knives to be used. And it's like I love seeing pictures of my knife in the field mm. or in somebody's home or hearing the stories about it because like especially with stuff like outdoor knives, they're so personal. Um, like you're going fishing with it. You're spending quality time with it. If you're a big game hunter, like, you know, it's you're all, you're taking it out when you have success. So it's like you really have that kind of connection with it. And, you know, they've got lots of stories behind them. And, like, I would love to have my knives be affordable where people would actually, you know, have no problem taking them out in the woods and then even potentially losing it because that happens all the damn time too. It does. It does. I've, I've lost my fair share of knives for sure. Um, so EDC and hunting knives seems to be where it's at for you. I've seen that you've done culinary knives in the past. And, you know, of course, those are beautiful as well. But you've really seemed to find your niche and really plant yourself in the EDC and hunting. Um, I know you have some sort of a hunting background, but I'd really like to hear like what you what maybe a couple of hunting stories or like what your your hunting you know life has been like. So the hunting actually, I've always been a bigger fisherman than I have been a hunter. The hunting actually just kind of started because uh, meat is expensive. Yeah. And yeah. there, I don't know if you know about New Jersey, but you can't drive down the road without almost hitting a deer in some areas. <laughs> same, <laughs> so, same thing up here, man. So, and it's like, I really got into that. And it's also just such a quiet way to relax, unwind. And you're just like hyper-focused on what you're doing, mm. which is just a, such a nice change of pace. Because sometimes in the rat race of life, you need something that takes your mind off of everything. Like I've taken people out fishing with me and at the end of the day, they're like, oh, well, you know what? I haven't thought about anything all day other than 
fishing. I'm like, well, yeah, why do you think I freaking do this? Like, <laughs> that's that's the point. Is why do you think I'm sane? That's <laughs> like you know, I'm all I'm normally already walking a fine line. So this is what helps me keep me on the line. Sure. But um and a lot of stuff like that really kind of bled into the designs because like I just kind of like see what I kind of need out there. And then it comes into, you know, what I want to make. Like recently I just made a big eight inch knife and it's, you know, it's so much fun. Right. But, and people, after I made it, because I made it to chop up kindling in the shop because now I have a wood stove in there and in the house. And in the house, I I use the log splitter to break the kindling up because I'm not going to start making a mess inside the house. But the shop's already a mess anyways. Who the hell cares? Right. Um, but like I use that thing every day in the shop to help heat the garage. And it's like, but now people are looking at it like, oh, that would be a great fighting knife. That would just be good for this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. I just made it to cut wood with. You know what I mean? And like how <laughs> carrying around an eight inch fighting knife, as soon as you're in the fight and all, oh you have to God. like try to unsheath this sword, it's never going to happen. You're like, hold on, time out. Let me right, just take right. this thing out. Like you're the magician pulling the thing out of your hat. You're like, oh, just one more second. It's almost done. Hold, yeah. hold on, guys. I'm almost ready. Well, it's it's just like, like I said, in the big fantasy land of everything, which is fine right. because, you know, it does happen to some people. And there is a reason why, you know, people think about this because it does actually happen. But the reality of most things is like just like the EDC knife. You're probably opening up cardboard with the thing. You know, right, right. you're not doing any James Bond stunts with that thing on a daily basis. You know, I don't open cardboard boxes unless I'm using an eight-inch chopping knife or oh, hunting I actually, or fighting knife. <laughs> I just got a shipment in of belts, and I'm just going to use the chopper and just chop it all, hold the box open at once. There you it's go. Like... <laughs> there you go. There you go. But um. I guess – so you said that you have a wood-fired stove in your shop. I've been kind of kicking around the idea of, of getting a stove, a little potbelly stove in my shop for the winters. Pros, cons, do you, what, do you like it? Do you have a stove inside the house, like a wood-burning stove in there? I do not. I do not. So I already burned wood for the house to heat the house. So like – and we've got the log spreader and everything else. So it's like I'm already splitting the wood anyway. It's kind of mm. a pain if you're doing it just for the shop. Now, another nice thing that would be you know convenient and also dry, which especially I've learned with the air compressor, a dry environment is nice. Um, I like a pellet stove or something would be a nice, easy thing to install. You could have tighter clearances to the wall so it doesn't take up as much space. Mm. And you could just go to like a tractor supply and buy the bags of pellets. See, my my grandpa heats his house with wood fire, like a potbelly stove situation. So, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of like wanting that nostalgia. Oh, it's so cozy. Oh, it's and like going out there an hour before you need to work and like get making a fire and then going in and having breakfast and coming out to a nice warm shop like that. That just seems like the life I want. <laughs> I've been doing but it every morning. and It's kind of nice. It is. I mean, it's just, just something like it's just it's just right. I don't know. Also, if you, if you do it yourself, I mean, and this is always the argument of like, you know, are you really saving money if you're doing the work yourself? But, like, I am now saving so much money by not using propane. Propane also is, you know, it's created a lot of moisture yep. in the shop, which was a pain in the ass. And it's just like you even said. It's just nice to go in there, like, make a cup of coffee, go light the fire, and then come back in the house, like, get my life in order a bit, and then get into the shop and start working. It's just a – it just feels nice and right, and it does have the cozy feel. I mean, but it does take up a lot of space. Um because now there's a dedicated corner of the garage that, you know, has to be 
you know, you have to keep everything fireproof. So you're not putting anything over there. I mean, you've got the luxury of having this mansion to work in now. Okay, so. <laughs> mansion, 20 by 24 mansion. Yeah, man, you're living large now at that place. Okay. What size is the shop that you're in? I think it's like maybe like 13 by 20, I think. Okay, all right. So it's it's more than enough space. And now I'm starting to figure out, even if I do buy a bigger air compressor, which I think I'm going to do, I might put it outside and then build an encasement for it and just soundproof the shit out of it. Mm, because okay. if I could build it, put it outside and then have it live there and then just run the lines in and then just have everything soundproof so it's not completely driving my neighbors nuts. Um, yeah. That's because that's, you know, I still am in a residential area. So. <laughs> so am I. And I haven't gone over to meet the neighbors yet. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe the first time, because I've, I've like waved at them and like, oh, hey, we just moved in. Oh, yeah, we'll make introductions later or whatever because they're busy or whatever. And it's like, hmm, wondering if the first time I meet them is when they're pissed off because I'm forging. <laughs> well, that's also. Do you have that thing. issue? Nah, not really. Because also I'm doing a lot of work during like the business hours of things. I'm not in the shop late night. I'm actually an early riser. I'm normally up every day at like 435. And nice. I I don't really, if it's, I also am respectful where it's like, if I'm not going to start the air compressor, the shop vac and the blast cabinet at six in the morning, that's, oh, sure. that's going to wait till at least eight. You know what I mean? Because it's just being courteous. And most of my neighbors say they don't even hear me because I'm mostly working when they're at work themselves. The thing that I'm worried about is the the people. So one side is a younger family and they're out to work, you know, whatever. The other side is a retired couple. Mm. I don't think I'm going to – I don't think there's a time when they're not home. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so that's that's where I'm I'm looking like, mm, that's that might be a little bit of an issue. Well, you're insulating uh, the shop now though. So like yeah. that's going to really help deaden the sound. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I want to talk about. So we're talking about your shop. I'm sorry, I turned this on me again. I'm I'm really bad this episode, but um, you know, I want to talk about your shop and like, do you have more tools that you really want that you haven't yet been able to get? Well, I've kind of got the list of tools in my head, and I've been trying to break them down. And the first thing I'm going to do is like, I mean, I remember you guys talking about work for it. Like, your most valuable tool is like your phone, and it's like, oh wow, that makes. Uh, you know, that's actually a great point. Like mm -hmm. My phone's good, but I'm buying a new actual desktop because my MacBook that I'm using now is from 2010. And every time I go to upload something to my website, I want to skip it into the lake. So it's like, because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so slow and it just don't want to work right. And you're just like, no, eventually it's like, spend the money on this. And then I've been dabbling about getting my own kiln, but like, even if I do, like, the route I'm going, I still think I'm going to want to send knives out because, like, I'm about to pick up 200 knives from Steel Baron. Do I really want to spend a whole week heat treating 200 knives? Probably not. Not for right. the cost of what it costs me because when you send them out in bulk, it ends up being, like, $5 a knife. So, like, right. you could just add that into the price. So I think the kiln's getting put on the back burner. But for, like, the new shop tool, I'm probably going to get a better air compressor and then maybe upgrade the cabinet with some new internal parts. Because that thing's been working great. And if that's the way things go, I'm completely fine with that. Sweet, sweet. I mean, it seems like all attainable things. It's not like you need, you know, a crazy amount of space to upgrade those things. 
No, and I do have like a nice check coming back from the pension system because now I get my money back because I was a police officer for seven years. So mm-hmm. I do thankfully get the money back. But of course, classic state of New Jersey, I just got the notification today. They can't do the direct deposit. So instead, they're just sending like a $28,000 check through the mail. And you're just oh, like, Jesus. You're like, great, great. <laughs> just my just my two favorite things, the Postal Service and the state of New Jersey. Just <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can ever go wrong with those two, right? <laughs> no, it's just like, ah, because, you know, especially if it gets lost in the mail, it's not like, you know, you know, I've lost stuff before and actually once almost burnt up a $500 check um, <sighs> because the mailman put it in the newspaper that like, you know, the throwaway newspaper that you get oh, from the town. Jesus. And I actually, it was funny. I got pulled over like before I found it and he's like, oh, your registration's up. I'm like, oh, I know you probably hear this all the time, but I never got anything from the state, you know, saying, hey, your renewal's up. He's like, ha, 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 have a great day. Um I found a $500 check and my stuff from the New Jersey DMV stuffed inside the newspaper in the burn box next to the wood stove inside the house. And I'm like, oh, that would have sucked. But like, you know, and now we're talking about a number a little bit larger than that. Right, right. I think I'm going to put some, I'm going to invest a lot of that, you know, actually start a retirement fund because I think I have to worry about that kind of stuff now. Right. Being an adult and everything. But I would like to probably buy a better air compressor setup with that. And then maybe the kiln. Uh, I've also been dabbling with the laser engraver just because that would be nice just to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen Matt Gentry's laser engraver in person. And uh, oh, my God, is that so, so nice. That's I've got I also have a big, long list of things that I want. And that laser engraver setup is just it's it's up there. It really is. And there's just like everything just runs smoothly. You could do custom work on it. But also like I have a laser engraver who's like 30 minutes from my house. So it's not the end of the world. And if anything else, if they're like I just did a recent uh, black belt promotion set for somebody um, and I got them all laser engraved. And it's just like if you want it, you just reflect that price to the customer. It's like it's not like it's coming out of my pocket. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And that's that's all part of the thing is like every time you make improvements, you're adding that price onto the knives and, you know, nobody's going to be mad at it because you're you're improving the knives with the thing. So, of course, it's going to cost a little bit more. And it's just like I'm very transparent with my costs and stuff like that. Like even I'm doing a new model called the EDB, which is actually a beefed up version of one of my neck knives. And um, we are uh, – where the hell is it going with this? I completely – laser engraver. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. That's totally um, fine. Tell me about the EDB. How is it different? So it is pretty much a beefed up version of the EDN, which is a smaller neck knife. And now it has like a full handle grip. It has a nice like sweeping edge to it. So if you're actually carving and doing woodwork, that sweeping edge really helps the cuts go. I mean, you hear like guys on Knife Talk talk about it with their chef knives where you actually want that kind of curve. And I heard Jeff and Mareko talk about it where – that actually helps the cut continue down. It's the same thing if you're carving wood and everything like that, trying to get like nice feather sticks. Mm. It really helps push the wood. And I'm having Offensive Industries do the sheath for it. I don't know if you follow him at all. But he does a ambidextrous style Kydex sheath, which is completely badass. And that by is that, really cool. You could put by ambidextrous sheath, I mean one side is flat and then the other side is made so you could put the knife in in either direction. It Whoa. doesn't. I've never yeah. seen that. Go check them out, man. It's awesome. And 
I'm going to be doing some work with him, possibly with the wicket with that kind of sheath as well. But we're doing the EDB to start. And, you know, that's also going to be my first time using a super steel, too. We're doing them in CPM 3V. Nice. Which is, you know, it's supposed to be just a super tough, tough steel. So that's another one that I'm actually, another cool thing that's happening soon is actually I have to make the knives for them, is uh, I'm going to have an article in Knives Illustrated, which I am pumped about. That is so cool. Like, so tell me, how do, how does it feel to already be in Knives Illustrated? And like, it seems like your meteoric rise is only going to get another boost because of it. Well, you know, I'm, we've all heard it before, like people talk about imposter syndrome, and it's very, very real. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, here I am, you know, I still, like, I'm, I never will say I'm like the world's best knife maker. And you never really hear me say, like, this is the best knife you've ever owned, because, you know, anybody could find flaws with anything. Sure. And even something as simple as, like, my two neck knives, where, like, one guy doesn't like the wicket because he's got gigantic man hands, sure. and that choil digs into his finger. So it's sure. like, to him, that's not the best knife in the world, but somebody else, it is. So I still had that imposter syndrome about it, but like, I'm just, you know, you know, a little taken aback, to be honest. Because, you know, here I was like, you know, when you're doing the job I used to do, like, nobody ever leaves that job. You know what mm. I mean? Like, you stay a cop, you're a cop for the next 30 years, and if you don't like it, you just shut up and be miserable. And it's right. like, it's like, is that really the way to go through life? And now here I am trying to push forward with this and making this a reality, which is just kind of cool that it's all coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, can can I ask? I mean, feel free to tell me to go F myself, but what was, was there a reason or was there a, what was the reason that you left the, you know, being a police officer? Well, I don't know if you talk to many cops, but uh, I've never heard one of them say that they absolutely love everything they're doing. You know sure. what I mean? There's sure. with my department specifically too, we work rotating shifts where like two weeks you'd be on nights and then two weeks you'd be on days and Oof. you just, and it's, uh, it's on and off and all the rotating and also too, like the way everything is going and it's not even political. It's just that there's bureaucracy is yeah. like something as simple as like a kid had a u landscape utility knife in his bag that he brought to school one day. And I was stuck doing like two hours of paperwork for, a kid who had a landscaping knife in his backpack. And you're like, Are, is this really the way? You know right. what I mean? Right. And it's like right. oh, over like something that could have been thrown in the trash because this is a $1 disposable knife. And it's, you know, also when you talk about finances too, like I was actually making more money in the shop than I was as a cop. So mm. you're just like, eh, is this really worth it? You know, for what, a pension? Because the average life expectancy for police officers nowadays is 58, which is... <sighs> Not so very good. what it sounds like to me is it was more of a quality of life. You, you weren't getting fulfilled in the role, which I'm, I know I've, I have, like I said before, I have a couple of friends in, in, you know, policing and whatnot that, you know, are really fulfilled and, you know, love the fact that they're giving back to the community and they are, they are who they want to be. But it seems like knife making was more where your passions are and where you get your fulfillment from. And so obviously if, if you're getting fulfillment and you love it, then why not do it more often if, if you can? Exactly. I mean, that's what everybody's goal is to really do something they're passionate about. And I'm not saying I'm not passionate about doing that job because I've been involved with this kind of stuff my whole entire life. Between the Boy Scouts, I was in, been an EMT since I was 16. 
Like I've been in this kind of field my entire life. So it wasn't something that, you know, was easy to walk away from, but sure. you know, it's also like, it's kind of like that American dream too. of like to own your own business and make it on your own and do your own thing. And also like too, it's like, you don't have, I mean, obviously there's always some kind of outside force that's holding you back. Like, but there's, you could take it as far as you want. Like, I don't have a mayor and council that are just making arbitrary rules because they said so. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. That's one thing that drove me nuts is like, when I'm in the shop, I'm working towards everything to make it as efficient as possible. Like, do like, and then when you're at work with bureaucracy, it's like, why am I doing this this way? This makes no sense. And your answer is because I fucking said so. You're like, oh, oh, oh. okay. Yeah. That's that's like one stupid thing is like we weren't allowed to wear our outer carriers with all of our gear on our chest and everything during daytime because apparently they were too scary. Oh. And you're like, you know, what what am I worried about? The school shooter going, oh, my God, I'm a little intimidated by that vest, sir. It's right. like, and also it was, they weren't ever brought about to look cool and militarized. They're brought about because every cop has a bad back and it's because they're carrying 20 plus pounds of weight on their hips, which is mm. retarded. Like, it's right. just like, you don't do that. Like, and also if you in, when it comes to fighting, the two ways to really control somebody is to control their head or their hips. If you have either one of those in control, you're controlling their movement. So now by adding this boat anchor to our hips, we can't really move as well. Right, exactly. And that was exactly. another one of those things where it's like, this doesn't make sense, but the answer was because I said so, and you're like, I don't need this in my life. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, yeah. I mean, that's totally valid. It's totally valid. And then another thing we're going to be going towards eventually on top of just the knife making is I've been working with Nick over at Black Flag Survival to hopefully get the Black Flag Outdoor Academy going. <laughs> that was literally the next thing I was going to pivot to. was. Uh -huh. Black Flag Outdoor Academy. Tell me all about it. So we're trying to start a course, and he's already been working on doing online modules. And this is really his brainchild, and I'm just the idiot in the background, um, which is completely where I see myself in life anyway. So, um, <laughs> and, Me too. Me too. <laughs> and what we want to be doing is we're not going to be doing like Bear Grylls, pee in a cup and drink it kind of courses. Um, it's going to be more for like the everyday person because like as you – like. After COVID happened, um, everybody got outside. And actually, probably what drove me into knife making more is because now everybody was in my damn fishing and hiking spots. And it was driving me nuts. Sure. But a lot of the people, that was their first time going out there. And they have, they didn't have parents that taught them. They didn't have grandpappy who showed them the ways. They're just like, oh, well, this seems nice. And it's the only thing I could do. So let's go figure it out. But then you got people going on like seven-mile hikes with Crocs on. And you're like, oh, geez. You're like what are you doing? And – that is also a burden on everybody, especially the first responders who then have to go in there and find them. Right. And right. with their the, 20 pounds of stuff on their belt oh because it's daytime. Because it's daytime and <laughs> you would be you would be scaring the person you're going to go rescue. Because No, it's more for the wilderness. The, the white-tailed deer might be scared. Because the person that's just been lost or hurt is going to be like, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Please send somebody in a normal uniform. Thank you very much. Um, no, that's it. But it's to really like the course is going to be geared towards like one mainly like having the right mindset and preparedness before you go into the woods. That's the biggest thing we're going to be teaching because like something as simple like as like checking the weather before you go, people don't tend to really do that. And it's right. like, you know, I could look up and see what it's probably going to be like for the day, but also been, you know, spending my entire life in the woods. Um, 
but like there's a lot of hikers that ha got caught in like monsoons down the like in Texas area this past year and it's like all this flash flooding and everything else and it's like well did you not see that this giant rain cloud was coming your way right it's like, right yeah uh, like we all have supercomputers in our pocket but people forget right. about those kind of things or also they just don't think about it you know what i mean or something like knowing what kind of like if the bears are going to be out like come springtime you got to be very careful hiking around because the bears are coming out of hibernation and around me i got bears that walk into my damn shop when i'm in there oh my god yeah, yeah. hold on hold on hold on we yeah. gotta talk about the bears in your shop oh my god that was scary tell um, me about it because so i could launch into a story but i'm gonna restrain myself <laughs> Tell me about the bear in your shop. So in New Jersey, we have probably the most densely bear populated population in, in the entire country for people to bear ratio I and size of the state. It's ridiculous. And for years, we haven't had a bear hunt, which is the only way to really manage them around here. Right. Right. And so without that, also, not only do you have the population growing, but since we didn't have it for about four years, now you have an entire generation of bears that don't fear humans. Like when I moved up to the sticks where I live now, like my girlfriend and I, she's like, oh, she's like, I don't really see deer like we used to in the suburbs. I'm like, yeah, cause because the bears around. are eating them. Well, the deer get shot. Like right. the deer know not to go oh, hang out right. by homeboy's house because that's how they end up in a freezer. You know, See, the reason why I said the bears are eating them because, you know, roadkill, especially up north where the, the black bears are, you know, roadkill is always kind of taken care of between the bears and the every, all the other, you know, Critters Stuff. of the woods. Yeah, it's just you don't see the roadkill on the side of the road because they're taken care of. But here it's a lot of trash, and that's the problem is that they get so accustomed to eating trash that even sometimes some bears don't hibernate because they've got food throughout the entire winter. And there's such a dense population of them. But one day I was in the shop, and like I always like am very wary walking around my house because I live in between three different state forests on top of a mountain. Like this is where th there is no relocating the bears here. Like right. they, this is where they would get relocated to. Right. But one day I was on the phone with one of my old coworkers, and all of a sudden I just hear something coming down the driveway. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I'm like, oh, and like, granted, the lights are on. It's a little bit later into the night. Lights are on the shop. I'm talking on the phone. There's no way the bear did not know I was in there. Right. And he starts walking down, and he's maybe like now three feet from my door. <gasps> and you're like, you know, I've got a pretty well-developed fight-or-flight mode now. From doing the last job and it's like i'm looking around the shop thinking which Hold knife on. am i going to go fight i've got to ask well I, that was the answer i was going to ask did you go fight or flight well i obviously stepped right towards it I, and it's funny too because my coworker thought i like crashed my car or something because you just hear me go fuck fuck shit shit and then like i throw my phone across <laughs> the shop and he's hearing it tumbling things banging around and he's like oh my god he's dead and so I start like running to like try to grab whatever I'm going towards. And I'm like, I just look up and I see the garage door. I'm like, oh, maybe this is the play. <laughs> and I literally jump up and grab the top of my garage door because I couldn't go too front to close it normally. So I jumped up from the back and just slammed it down. And I was just like, had to just take a deep breath after that one. Right. Like black bears, you know, they if you're and also the garbage normally I keep it in the garage so the bears don't get to it but i wheeled it out this night because i was in there on the phone mm. and i'm like that's what it was coming for but now you're the only time you're ever in danger with bears is if you're in between their food or their cubs and right. i was now squared up with it in front of a food source which i'm like this is a problem right 
And I'm like, thankfully, I was able to get to the door because like everybody, it's just like those fantasy scenarios that would say like, oh, I'm just going to get this big old eight inch knife and fight a bear. It's like, no, that's probably not going to work out too well for you. Right. Because as soon as the bear is actually there, the eight inch knife is in the house. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's going to be great until the bear bites your arm and starts thrashing you around. Um, You know, there's a great scene from the Reverend where it's like he's just getting tossed everywhere. It's like, yeah, that's probably what's going to actually happen. Right. Like people think I'm just gonna go throw a triangle choke onto a bear. It's like no, <laughs> no, that's that's that's. I don't think that's gonna work out too well. But right. yeah, you just got. But it's stuff like that which we're trying to teach in the academy is just being aware of your surroundings and what's going on. Like now at night, I don't walk around the house without a flashlight because I know there's bears around, and with the flashlight, I could at least have a heads up down the way because you can see their eyes. Like oh, something is there, but people. Right. Don't all they don't have the training for that, and a lot of people all the time, especially in the knife world, where we do we're going to focus on gear a little bit, but that's like the third module of the three. Where the second one, the first one's mindset, the second one's going to be skill set. We're actually learning to use what you got, mm-hmm. because I tell people all the time, like you could do everything I'm doing with a Mora, like for eighteen bucks out of any sporting goods store, like. Those knives work great, and you don't need a $300 knife. However, I am in the business of selling $300 (laughs) knives, so please don't just only buy Morris. But, you know, you learn the quality difference, and it's more about the skills with it, where you could probably do a lot better work with a more expensive and better tool, but you can still get by with that. And the third is gear set, because gear is very important, and also you learn very quickly, like, even it's the same carries over in the shop. Like, you're using some janky tools, and then you buy like, you know, for when I started, I was using a one by 30 mm-hmm. and then I bought a two by 72. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? You're like, this is how it's, this is why this is so much more expensive, but it makes right. sense. But you right. got to graduate up to that. And hopefully we'll get the podcast going soon, but it's kind of been on me because I've just, you know, been a little all over the place recently. Um, the whole like life changing career change move that might've been something to do with that. Before we switch over to talk about the podcast, so what what is it that the Black Flag Outdoor Academy like? What type of a service is it going to be? Is it going to be like videos or like how how is that going to be structured? So right now, um, on the Black Flag Outdoor Academy page, um, for and you can fo- find out more by following Nick Italiano at Black Flag Survival. So he has some modules already set up. So there's going to be online courses and he's doing the first sets for free just so people could actually see what it's going to be like and everything nice. and then eventually it's going to be like paid course modules and it's going to have like specific uh topics that it goes into it. it's like fire making survival water treatment gear hiking safety like he's going to have everything set up in different modules so it could be a paid online course and then eventually the goal is where i may come in more is doing in-person classes So we are going to try to do more actual in-person classes, in-person meetups. I'm going to be one of his lead instructors there. So like, and that's what I love doing too, especially from the Boy Scouts. Like I love teaching and helping people out, Mm. especially in something that I'm passionate about. Um, And, you know, you don't have to be the best to be a good teacher, you know, because some of the best people that I met at certain skills are just, they're great at it, but they can't really pass on the knowledge or work with people. It is so, a, it is definitely a skill that is very valuable for sure. Like even my jujitsu instructor, like he's he used to be a teacher. So when he teaches, he just knows how to do it well and knows how to get ideas across to people. So like, and that's where I'm going to come in a little bit more with like not saying I'm the best teacher in the world, but like I have been doing this for a while. Um, sure. And it's just something I'm passionate about. So like it's easier to teach them that you're very passionate and well versed in. 
Speaking of teaching and, you know, being able to convey what you want, um, like it's it's really the ability to talk about what you know and explain it the way that you want to. Um, you know, have you ever done in-person classes around, have you ever done knife making classes or do you plan on doing any sort of classic classes like that? I would love to, but I've never done any. I'm a YouTube sure. baby. So like I figured all this out by the internet pretty much. Um, which is a wonderful time to be alive, to be able sure. to do that. I mean, that's how I came up as well. Like I'm right there with you. And like, I would love to take some more in-person classes and I'm lucky to have the maker camp within two hours of me. So I'm hoping to like, I've never forged anything. So I would love to like, just take a forging class up there and just kind of bang around some metal where it's like, I'm not having to buy a whole anvil. And also like, I don't necessarily where I'm at now. I wouldn't want to get into blacksmithing just because of the fact of I have neighbors and I don't want to piss them off any more than I already do. Sure, sure. Tell me about this new podcast that you're starting up. So the podcast is going to be with Nick and it's going to be based around the Black Flag Outdoor Academy. We're both obviously going to be talking about our businesses doing it, but it's going to be more like going in depth into the topic of the modules and we'll have a couple guests on. And just like kind of like a little more, you know, refined discussions than what we normally do with our nonsense live streams. Because, you know, the live streams get a little ridiculous at times. Um, to be fair, I love all of them. <laughs> they're, they're just so much fun. But like, you know, we could go off on tangents for a while. And it's like at least with the podcast, we could have, you know, more of a structured discussion about things in <laughs> error where like you could actually look it up. And that's the goal is like I love being able to go through certain podcasts and like find the topic and be like, oh, I love to listen to this. Mm. Like, say, and as we all, as we all know, podcasting is so, you know, very structured and never go on tangents and we never just go on and on and on. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> also, it's the most lucrative thing you could ever do. in the <laughs> Very unsaturated market. Like I know you. that, I know that you guys are work for it. are just like stashing the money away right now. Somewhere <laughs> you guys are just having your monster shop or maybe that's how Brian's buying all those new tools he's getting. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the work for it empire that's but, that's what it is but also WFI too, empire it's just but even just like with the podcast it's like also to get more like customers involved too and it kind of gives them a following to go with it and i'm not saying i'm doing it just to sell stuff but like you know it's all related to stuff we're going to be doing with the academy and it's going to be at the courses and my knives are going to be the only my my fixed blades are going to be the academy fixed blades which is going to be nice so we're i'm actually going to work on a whole set soon with like the academy logo on them and it's going to be like those are going to be like the ones offered for sale during the course and nice. the ones you're going to see all of us using so like obviously yeah like there's a purpose to doing this because like you know it's it's all business driven at this point Sure, sure. And that's, you know, to enjoy what you're doing, have fun with what you're doing, but also use it to further your business is, I mean, that's that's the ultimate situation. And it's really going to, it's at the end of the day, we're still trying to provide a benefit to the listener. There's going to be a point to why they're listening, not just hearing me sell stuff, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, like, I'm going to be talking about like what's going on in the shop and what's coming up. But it's like you need to provide benefit to people. And I've noticed that a lot with even like social media work. Like you have to provide like some kind of like information to benefit the people that are following. You know what I mean? Other than just like here's my stuff. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I am I know just from this conversation and this podcast, that podcast is going to be something to listen to. It's going to be super successful because, I mean, obviously we've, we've been having this hour and almost 20 minute conversation and 
you have the voice and you have the storytelling ability is I'm really excited to get to listen to it. Thanks, man. I really, you know, it's like I said, it's kind of just waiting on me to get my shit together. But, uh, <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, come it's, on, you've got like nothing else going on, right? Yeah. Like I said, it's only a life changing career move and going from a job where I never had to really think about the aspects of things being run. And now it's like now everything's on it, like on me. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, so if ducks in a row. here's my next question, if somebody wanted to get a hold of one of your knives, where is it that they would have to look to find you? So Knives by Nuge is the only place where I post my knives. And you could go there, knivesbynuge.com, on Instagram, knivesbynuge. And those are where I do the drops. And like I said, custom orders are probably coming to a close. But, uh, you know, all the available stuff's posted there. Knives by Nuge, Instagram, anywhere else? Yeah, I got a TikTok page, but I don't really like TikTok too much. Oh, well, I mean, I will, we'll check it out. We'll see you do a dance or two. <laughs> yeah no you're not gonna see me up there dancing or anything on that <laughs> me neither but i'm always surprised you know a lot of people really like it and it's it seems to work all right tom thank you so much for sitting down with me i appreciate your time and i cannot wait to see how knives by nuge just keeps on going because it's getting bigger and bigger every year thanks man i really appreciate you having me here absolutely well i hope you all have a fantastic working week oh you got that time perfectly work for it baby